Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Hahn or Andy Hahn, and this is podcast number 48, um, Guided Self-Healing, Fearless Living. And again, we are continuing on our journey through the book, The One-Hour Miracle, and we are now up to chapter 12, and chapter 12 in the book is called Personality as a Protection. Now, most of us might think, what a strange idea that our personality, which we usually identify with, like I am my personality, it's like the water we swim in if we're a fish, is really not who we are, but a protection that protects us from something we're afraid to experience about ourselves, which we call our core fear, which really the thing we're most afraid to admit about ourselves isn't who we are either. It's just a misnaming of what we might call life. So the point of understanding, why does this matter? Well, the point of understanding all this is freedom. Because if we could realize that our personality is not who we are, but a compulsion which doesn't make it bad, it just makes it compulsive. It means we're not free, a compulsion. Then if we could deal with the fear that was underlying the compulsion, which is the trauma. So it's again, like we said before, there's a trauma and then there's a way we protect ourselves from the trauma. And if we could deal with the trauma and then thank the protection and say, I appreciate you, but I don't need you compulsively anymore. I can still have all of your gifts, but I won't have to identify with you and then have never really experienced you, my personality, because I'm using you not to have my greatest gifts, but as a way not to feel something else. So I never get to experience the greatest gifts of my personality just to experience them. So the whole point here is freedom. So if we want to really understand this, um, I guess the best way to do it is to go back to our creation myth, right? And we said in the beginning that who we are is everything, and everything is who we are. And then life creates little pieces of itself, and it creates them, it sustains them, it destroys them, and it mystifies them, so they forget who they truly are. And then there's grace or revelation, which is when there is a remembering from these little holographic points of life that who they truly are is life itself. That's the background. Now let's look at it from the point of view of the particular, of the pieces of the holographic plate, so to speak. <clears throat> Once we are limited, because we no longer experience ourselves as everything but something. The whole point is that if we became who we truly were, were, which is life itself or the divine or whatever you want to call that, we would cease to exist as something separate. And so as a way not to do that, we identify with that separate thing and do everything we can not to become who we truly are, because if we did that, we would, as a separate, limited being, 
entirely cease to exist. It'd be like a drop of water falling into the ocean and dispersing all over the place until it was the ocean, but was no longer the drop, so to speak. So then what we do is we identify with an I, right? I identify. And then <clears throat> we hold on for dear life. It's like the water, you know, it's like the, it's like there's gravity, which means love, you know, and the ocean is like inviting the drop to come down and become immersed in the ocean. And the drop is doing everything it can to fight gravity saying, I'm gonna get as far away from you as possible. I'll use all my energy to try not to fall into the ocean because then I will cease to exist. As with all trauma, which the limited part of us experiences becoming, moving from everything to something as a kind of a shock, we could say that something couldn't handle going back to who it was, it identifies not only with an I, but it identifies, as we said, when there's a trauma with negative limiting beliefs, fear of feeling feelings and boundary issues, which of course, in this case, there are boundary issues because uh, you're afraid to become who you truly are, which would be the loss of a boundary seemingly. So, and from our point of view, all of these get wrapped up into not just an I, but a limited sense of an I. So it's I becomes I am, and then becomes something limited and negative limited, as we talked about in all trauma. So it would be something like I am bad. Now let's look at I am bad as a core experience of the first of the points called the perfectionist. I am bad is like uh, going out of the fire into a frying pan, so to speak. Um, because I am bad, of course, protects us from no I at all, right? So I protects us from no I, but since it's traumatized, there's an I am something limited, which is I am bad. So the very protection, right? I am bad, which protects us from non-existence is in and of itself like a smaller version of that black hole. So for if I'm a perfectionist, if I really allowed I am bad, it would be like I cease to exist. So then I have to do a second sort of two-step and say, <clears throat> no, it's not that I'm bad, it's that I'm good and that I'm compulsively good. <clears throat> That's who I am. So in a sense, what I do is I make what's called an ontological mistake. Well, what does that mean? It means that I place goodness as fundamental and even in some funny way more important than beingness. I am good, therefore I am. It's not I am, therefore I am, which eventually becomes everythingness and therefore being without an eye. So we, of course, identify with this, <clears throat> uh, I am good as a compulsion. Now, let's think about the only problem with that, which is I never truly get to experience goodness. I get to experience a pseudo goodness, but not the real thing, because I'm using goodness in part 
not to experience I am bad. And I'm using that in part to never experience nothingness or no thingness, right? So I go around compulsively having to be good. And then of course, badness leaks out. The badness of course leaks out towards myself because it's always there knocking on our doors saying, you think you're good? Ha, you're not good. You had a 99 on the test. You could have studied harder and gotten a hundred. You'll never be really good, right? You could, have, you could have done more, you could have improved. So there's this voice going on all the time. Now, of course, from the point of view of being a perfectionist, that voice is terrible. Like, won't you ever leave me alone? But on the whole other hand, that voice is an invitation. What would happen if for one moment, instead of using anything we could do, right? Trying to prove we're good or telling, getting other people to, uh, to recognize our goodness or even, you know, having obsessive compulsive disorder in order to prove we're good or, you know, whatever it's gonna take. Um, or, you know, to be depressed if we aren't good enough so that at least we would say we have a reason for being not good as opposed to we're bad. Or we're anxious all the time or we don't adapt to new situations. Um, whatever it's gonna be for us. Uh, you know, we're, we're, zealot, we're zealots, right? I'm zealous, I'm gonna enforce the good, right? Why? Only in order not to experience I'm bad. So let's suppose we did something profoundly counterintuitive. And for one second, we let ourselves fully experience this thing that we've spent so much energy trying to not experience, which is I am bad. And then we find out if we could really do that, we become more of who we are. There's a serenity that comes over us, a sense of I'm even more truly perfect because I could be everything. I'm not so scared I have to have a kind of pseudo-perfectionism, I'd be freer. And so the invitation here is that we find the thing that we're most afraid to admit about ourselves, which is a kind of black hole that keeps sucking us into it. And instead of using so much energy to try to stay away from it, the protection, for one second, we let ourselves touch into that black hole, in this case called I am bad. And then once we've done that, we find we're freer. Because for a second, we didn't have to compulsively be good as a way not to experience I'm bad. What a concept. And then I get to experience my goodness for its own sake. But I also know that to everything in its season, sometimes life calls for being good, and sometimes life calls for being bad. And bad here usually means, you know, uh, play before work or something like that. Play before works as a perfectionist. I mean, you know, forget it. It's impossible. How could you ever do that? That'd be bad. 
no one would be mad we play right so i'd be free i wouldn't be in such anxiety if i let myself be bad which meant i was having pleasure or play before i did all my work but that wouldn't keep me from doing all my work so to speak it wouldn't keep me from prioritizing you know accomplishment or whatever it was that i felt was the good thing it would just mean i'd be free and what I want to suggest the Enneagram tells us is there are these nine personalities and each of them has one thing that they are most afraid to admit about themselves. We spent a lot of time on the perfectionist. But if we go to the giver, our understanding from having spent a lot of time with givers is there's a profound, deep sense of unworthiness of existing. So I compulsively have to be worthy of existing by taking care of your needs, which demonstrates that I have a reason for being. So, but of course, what does that lead to? It leads to a kind of arrogance, right? And it leads to a kind of uh, slavery because I need you to need me and now I'm worthy, right? Well, let us suppose for one second, I let myself touch into, I am unworthy without fear, but we just say, it's just one more experience in life. And suddenly we open up to something. We open up to a kind of humility. It's not that I need people to need me as a way to prove my worthiness. No, I just want to altruistically give to people. And I have a sense of serenity. And I have a sense of Humility really is what it is. I'm really deeply, I have a sense of humility. It's not that people need me. I can just give to them without needing to have them need me. So I'm free. And so the irony is that if I let myself feel my unworthiness, it leads to a sense of humility as opposed to arrogance and saying pride. You can't live without me, the prideful stance, right? Uh, and and you know the arrogance called hubris that goes with that. No, we're free and we're humble, which is a great thing. And what we're gonna find is that's true all the way along the line. So if I'm a performer, right? I have this fear, I do nothing, I create nothing, I am failure. So I compulsively have to do and create and succeed. But of course I never get to experience my doing and creating and succeeding because I'm using them in order not to feel that I do nothing and I'm failure. So of course, if I let myself feel this sense of failure, then I don't have to be my image anymore. I could have a hope that if I was truly who I was, which is everything, success and failure, that I would still be acceptable. So I would have a chance to do that. Or is the romantic, you know, who says like, I compulsively have to be special, unique. Why? Because I feel a fear, which is that there is something wrong with me and I'm ordinary. And if I were ordinary, that's the equivalent of being defective. And so I have to compulsively be special and different and unique. And I never get to experience that because it's not 
who I truly am. And I have to, even my uniqueness has to, you know, not be the things that I'm most uh, afraid to admit. So I'm trying to be authentic in my uniqueness. But the one thing I don't want you to know is how ordinary I am. So it's an image of uniqueness. It's not even the real deal. It's an image of authenticity. So what would happen then, of course, if I say, you know, I'm ordinary and amazing things happen. I'm not afraid anymore and I can touch something that's really unique, really original, and I can do it with a sense of balance and equanimity. So I'm free. And uh, I don't have to be dramatic anymore. I can just be. Or if I'm a observer and I say, you know, I am self-sufficient. I'm a rock, I'm an island. A rock feels no pain, an island never cries. I take care of my own needs and you know, I will wall myself off from the world. Why? Because I have the sense of energetic insufficiency, and particularly in my mind, because of my head point. So I'm insufficient, you know, in terms of my energy and in terms of, but really I'm, I'm insufficient in terms of my mind. So I have to get every bit of information and I have to make sure that I never get drained. But of course, if I could really feel how insufficient I felt, well, I could truly know everything. And I could truly be powerful enough to do everything because I wouldn't be run by the sense of insufficiency. I would say, I am sufficient unto myself, but not in a compulsive way. And then of course, world's open to us. Or I'm a loyal skeptic. And I have to be secure. And I have to move away from the things I'm afraid of, even though I'm very afraid because the world's a dangerous place. So what would happen if for one second, I noticed my own inner sense of fear that I'm a nobody and my doubt that comes with that and the sense of humiliation that I project onto the outside world, but which I really am born predisposed to. Let's suppose I could really touch into this sense of being a nobody and all of the fear and doubt that goes with being a nobody. Then, if I had the courage to face my own inner fear and the faith to touch it, the world wouldn't be so dangerous to me anymore because I've faced my own fears inside myself. So I could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because I've already touched it. Or if I'm an epicure, an adventurer, and I say, of course, well, what's life about? More and more and more pleasant experiences. I want to have pleasant mental experiences. I want to have pleasant life experiences. That's who I am, right? Why? Because I have an inner sense of being unfulfillable. It's like the glass being half full, but not fully full. So anything that fills me really is who I am. It's not just an experience. It's who I am. So it better be good. 
you know, and it better not be boring or hurtful or anything because that would be filling me up with something poisonous as opposed to just an experience, you know, or pain. So I don't want to feel pain. So what would happen if for one second I let myself touch into this fear I have that no matter what, I'll never be fulfilled. I'm unfulfilled. The world's over. So I no longer compulsively have to think my way out of things. I no longer compulsively have to have the next good experience. And when someone is around and they're feeling pain, I have to get away from them because they would fill me up with their pain, right? So I would become, in a sense, instead of being gluttonous for the next good experience, I would find a sense of sobriety, not in the sense of drinking, but in a sense of like not having to be always finding the next experience like a child says like give me one more toy give me one more cupcake give me one more whatever it is right i would be free to be sober and uh, open to these new worlds and i truly would be free and the kind of freedom that goes with that or if i'm a protector and i identify with being a protector I have to be in control all the time. I have to be powerful all the time. What would happen if I let go of my fear and I let myself feel my vulnerability, my powerlessness, not being in control? And suddenly I would find a deeper truth, not a surface truth of like, you know, the facts, but a deeper truth of my own soft heart and the innocence that comes with that and the softness that comes with that. An amazing gift. All I would have to do is let go of being in control. Or if I'm a mediator, and the mediator, of course, saying like, I am love, I am peace. I compulsively have to create harmony and peace and love in the world, but it's a pseudo kind of love. It's not real love because it's not loving everything. It's not everything. Because I don't believe that there's even a me here that's lovable. So I believe I'm profoundly unlovable. And the disharmony that comes with that. What happens if I could love my unlovability? What would happen if I could love my inner sense of disharmony? Then I could know true love and I could take initiative and I could really act in the world. So this is the reason we talk about these things. And the invitation as an exercise is, for one second, find whatever it is that you're most afraid to experience about yourself. Feel the sensation in your body. And just for one moment, don't run away from it, but choose to let it pull you in with its love and go into that black hole called I am bad or unworthy or whatever it is that's yours. And then you'll find that world's open to you because then you can become who you truly are, which is everything. All you have to do is feel the thing you're most afraid of and let it draw you into that black hole. And that black hole you'll find is everything. It's all spaciousness, it's all matter, it's all everything. 
and then for a moment you may touch into the grace itself. So having said that, thank you so much for joining me with this. Again, my name is Andy Hahn. You can reach me at ahan, A-H-A-H-N, at lifecenteredtherapy.com. And if you want to know about all of what we do and all of our practitioners and all of our trainings, which we do online training, so you can do them from anywhere. And we teach you how to do healing work and growth work. And you can also, of course, buy our book, which has just recently come out called The One Hour Miracle. And you can read for yourself or listen if you like audio, or you can get it on Kindle or wherever you like, and you can read everything we're talking about in sessions. So thank you again. And until next time, goodbye.